This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. Tonight is Wednesday, and our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And Joe Biden went to Israel today. It's an eight-hour trip. He's on his way back, and uh, he got dissed by all of the Arab leaders he was intending to meet with, but he definitely, uh, you know, gave a very, very weak display of American prowess there. <laughs> he basically uh, said, he'll come here in Israel. I'm here with Bibi. And I'm going to leave a bunch of money for Hamas and for the Gaza Strip. At least that's how I took it. Uh, of course, uh, Jim Jordan uh, did not get enough votes again to become speaker. And I've got this little running bet going with my friend, the, uh, the, the former Cuban restaurant owner, who um, said, uh, no, 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 this guy's no good. Anything that Trump touches doesn't work. And I said, come on, he's going to win. This is the best guy. So come on, we're rooting for you, Jim Jordan. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, then you have uh, one of the DAs, the district attorneys, that was backed by George Soros. Now, you know, these district attorneys, they're known on this program as pro-crime, progressive prosecutors that coddle criminals. And one of them, lamentably, was carjacked at gunpoint in his own city. Yep. Uh, District Attorney Jason Williams was carjacked at gunpoint in his own liberal city on Monday, according to reports. Williams and his 78-year-old mother were approached by two suspects and held at gunpoint while walking to his car. The suspects then demanded the district attorney's car. This was reported in the Daily Caller. The suspects then jumped into the car and drove off before abandoning the vehicle in an uh, undisclosed location and carjacking a young woman in the area 30 minutes later. Absolutely terrible. Uh, here's a quote from Keith Lampkin. He's a spokesperson for the DA's office. He said, DA Williams and his mother were unharmed and both thank the uh, police department for their hard work tonight and every night responding to crime victims. Williams said the suspected, uh, the suspect, excuse me, had uh, high-powered automatic weapons and took items from their SUV. Uh, saying, quote, I think it's important to reiterate that my mother and I are just a small fraction of the number of people impacted by violence in this city. Well, you know, sir, I would say you earned the title of pendejo with a capital P because, my goodness, this man is the chief law enforcer for the city, right? That's the prosecutor's job to enforce the law. 
and it seems like he's not doing it. The crime is so out of control that he's getting carjacked with his elderly mother. If that doesn't wake you up, I don't know what will. Uh, he goes on to say, we have to collectively work on crime prevention efforts, policing efforts, and our prosecution efforts. Yeah, no, duh. I mean, you've got to be a special kind of stupid to think that you're not playing a role here. When you start downgrading every crime imaginable to try and combat whatever it is, social justice, racial justice, criminal justice, and you render justice uh, basically neutered. There is no justice when you add these modifiers before the word justice. Justice is justice without uh, a modifier before it. If I say we're going to have broadcast justice today, that's no justice at all. Justice is what it is. It has its name. It has its definition. And these guys skirt justice every time by allowing people, emboldening people to do more crimes. I don't see how they don't see it, but it's bad. At least in my opinion, things are bad. Now, according to the Capital Research Center, the district attorney was elected in 2020 after George Soros donated $220,000 to the Louisiana Justice and Public Safety PAC to run campaigns against his opponent. Absolutely, um, I mean, disappointing, but not surprising, right? I mean, we've seen this happen in Philly. We've seen it happen in so many big cities. You've got to be just delusional to think that you can not prosecute criminals, coddle them, and then think that you're going to have a better situation. Yeah, so if your goal was to keep criminals out of jail, which it seems like it was, it's working. The criminals are on the street and they're terrorizing you and your mother. Real bright. Outstanding. Now, Williams campaigned on a platform of social justice reform, promising to find alternatives to incarceration. Yes, the alternative is to rob you and your mother. Anyway, he says uh, for some criminals um, and to reform the ineffective and unfair um, money bail system. Well, great. I'm sure you don't have to lock anybody up. They'll just stay right on the street and they'll rob you and your mother. Uh, he went on to say the president and his current. Uh, actually, let's see here. Yeah, that's him. Uh, the president and this current uh, D.A. may try to deflect from the true issues of racism in the nation and our legal system by instead choosing to villainize Americans, arguing that black lives must matter too. But we must root out all vestiges of white supremacy in our systems and institutions, Williams wrote on his campaign website back in 2020. And of course, this president he was referring to is Trump. The culture of uh, the uh, New Orleans uh, DA office must change so that we can achieve real justice for victims and others caught up in the criminal justice system. So... The victim is not him and his mother. The victim is the guy that put the automatic weapon in his face. I get it. This guy definitely is a special kind of stupid. Williams declined. I'm pretty sure he's one of those that say we need gun control, too, because, you know, good guys with guns. God forbid he would have had a gun to defend him and his mother's life. Um, he's going to say, no, what are you kidding me? They just they robbed us and uh, we're good. We're good. As long as we get robbed and we're good, we're fine. It's, it's OK for the bad guys to have the guns. Never OK for me to have a gun. Williams declined to prosecute 65% of all criminal cases in New Orleans in 2021, but slowly began to prosecute more cases as crime in the city rose. Uh, duh, according to the data from the New Orleans government office. Now, the district attorney continues to prosecute, on average, only 44% of the criminals who've been charged by the police. New Orleans was named the murder capital of the United States in 2022 and violent crime was the leading cause of death for children in the city that same year. So there we have the district attorney 
who presides over the murder capital of the world, or at least the United States in 2022, where more kids are dying from that violent crime than anywhere else. Now, what they're not reporting, and I would bet anything, anything that I've got, that the kids that are dying from violent crime look like me and look like him. Brown and black. I would guarantee it. So he's allowing people that look like him and me. And again, I don't think you should favor people based on race. But to make a point to say, no, we, we need racial justice. Where's the racial justice when you've got little Hispanic kids, little Latinos, little black kids that are being killed by other blacks who are carjacking you and your 78-year-old mother? Unbelievable. Stuff like this really, you know, it's not a new thing. We hear this stupidity all the time. These defund the police people that end up getting robbed and beaten. But it's like nobody learns. Somebody told them it was a bad idea along the way, yet they they could care less. Unbelievable. So anyway, that's the story on the district attorney. Uh, again, his name, District Attorney Jason Williams, carjacked at gunpoint in New Orleans. What a pendejo. Anyway, we're going to continue our conversation on what happened with Jim Jordan today. He did not get the requisite amount of votes. Is he coming back? Is he not? I'm hoping that he does. We're going to get to that in a moment. Plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. Give him the opportunity to talk and listen and earn it. What is it's what is that time where, in, in your mind, where he says, "Okay, it's time to"? Finish. I don't have. I don't have. Well, what would be your advice to him? Look, it, it definitely wouldn't be after two or three votes. I went quite a ways. Of course, that was uh, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, California congressman, uh, remarking on Jim Jordan not getting enough votes on the second ballot in today's vote and saying, hey, look, this guy needs more time to go and garner up some more support. And I want to get to the bottom of that with the senior congressional reporter from The Washington Times, Kerry Pickett. Kerry Pickett, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Rich. You bet. Always a pleasure. So. I'm looking at one of your articles here. It says friction emerges between Jordan and Scalise amid fight for speaker's gavel. Tell us what's going on. I know you cover the congressional beat. You're in Washington. You're in the swamp. You know the players. What's going on? Okay. Well, as far as what that's referring to there, uh, you, you know, it's, first off, it's we, we are already in a in a week three right now of uh, of not having a permanent speaker of the house uh you know it hasn't been since 1971 that we've gone through a you know like you know two week long you know stretch of, of not having a, a speaker and of course this is because uh former speaker mccarthy was ousted after eight republicans along with the entire house democratic caucus ousted him after a motion to vacate was put forth by Republican Matt Gates. So now uh, what we have here is trying to figure out how to get a new speaker. So now uh, you had someone like uh, Steve Scalise, who's the majority leader. He tried putting his hat in, uh, and there was a uh, 
Republican conference, a meeting that went on, and there was one secret ballot that happened. And uh, Jim Jordan apparently had a private conversation and said, okay, well, looks like there wasn't enough Republicans, which was 217 necessary mm-hmm. to uh, to support you. So sorry, uh, looks like I'm going to jump in instead. And that was sort of like Scalise getting a little upset with him. Those those hard feelings are going on. Scalise is, and, and, and now there's some say saying that like, oh, well, Scalise is publicly supporting you, but he's not really supporting you. Uh, mm. There's, it's kind of, and what I mean by that is he is publicly supporting him by voting for him. Um, his 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 office is is saying that he's whipping for him, but according to some people, some sources are saying that he's not putting his full heart into it. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. You know, that's you know, and that may go back to some bad blood that went on when when a Scalise was uh, trying to. Uh, attempt to run for speaker previously. Okay, but so the, the word on the street today. for that is butthurt, right? So Scalise is butthurt that he couldn't get the support he needed. Now he's coming after Jordan. Would you say that the votes where people, obviously Scalise is not in the race anymore, and where people say, I'm nominating Steve Scalise, are those Scalise loyalists that are trying to stick it to Jordan? You know, I got to tell you something. Um, yes, you know, the, there's a lot of people who are still upset about how things have gone down over the over the past two and a half weeks, Rich. But keep in mind, understandably so, uh, you know, you have and, and, and it wasn't just squeezed. Lots of people who are upset about how things went down for McCarthy. But McCarthy won the gavel after 15 rounds back in January. Mm-hmm. OK, and so now you have someone like Jordan. He has. He still hasn't gotten the gavel now after two floor votes. So I think there's some sort of like thing going on here. Like, do you really think because you have McCarthy who who is out there whipping for Mr. Jordan, he is once again publicly for Mr. Jordan. Do you really think there's some people out there going to say that like he's just going to get the gavel after two or three rounds after McCarthy went through hell going through 15 rounds? Yeah, they want to make him sweat. They're going to make him sweat at least, and they're going to say, you're, going to, you're not going to get the gavel before 15 rounds, and you're going to sweat just as much as, as McCarthy did, if not more. And, you know, you're either going to pull out or you're going to go through as many rounds as possible if you're going to, if you're going to stick around, and we'll see about that. In the meantime, we have, um, uh, we have Mr. McHenry of North Carolina. Looks like uh, he is the temporary speaker right now. Right. And all he can do right now is gavel in, gavel out. And it looks like there's some talk about him getting some more legislative powers. Now, with, with that talk, uh, yesterday I was very surprised to see uh, former Speaker Newt Gingrich um, saying that uh, McHenry, Patrick McHenry, the uh, interim speaker, was the best choice. And I was kind of taken aback by that because I feel like Jim Jordan's clearly the best choice. Um, where do you think that's coming from? Is there really a big concerted effort to get McHenry uh, to become speaker? Um, well, on the Democratic side, they'd love to have Mr. McHenry as the uh, as a as a permanent speaker. But as far as you know, former Speaker uh, Gingrich is concerned, and uh, and uh, others. 
I think they're just looking to have someone around uh, to just move, like spending legislation, which is coming up uh, as far as a, a deadline is concerned, over in mid-November. So that's very important. There's also the mm. uh, Israel resolution that is coming up as well. So people are getting anxious right now, and they want to just have someone who's more an administrative uh, person than a political person right now, and they think that McHenry would be that person. Uh, of course, because of what happened, and you know, I, I realize that there's a lot of people out there who are like, hey, yay, Matt Gates, and so on and so forth, but this sort of puts a bit of a hold a bit on, on a lot of these investigations that, that have been going on in these committees. Sure, they can still go on, but not uh, with as much power, shall we say. Got it. Now, this move um, to push McHenry to get more power to remain the interim speaker, it's my contention that if that happens, that kind of pulls the rug out from under Jim Jordan to to whip more votes because there is no more urgency because now you have somebody that can, right. can pass a bill. Uh, do you think that's... Um, um, I don't know, a, a, a kind of closeted uh, sabotage to the Jordan speakership. Of course. Of course it is. And, and in fact, there are some people uh, who are questioning if it's even constitutional, if it's even legal. And uh, they are wondering uh, if, it, if it can be done. So you have a lot of legal scholars, constitutional scholars who are looking up in the books if, if this can even be done. I mean, look, we are in an unprecedented time right now. And, you know, people are sort of writing the rules as they're going along. They're sort of putting the plane together as it's flying mm-hmm. along in the, in, in the airspace there. So uh, that is, is, is the question. So even, like, the uh, supporters of expanding McHenry's powers uh, – are, are making sure that everything is buttoned up before uh, they end up electing him for a period of time. Like, so they'll say, well, if we write this resolution to like elect him, it, it would only be until we end up electing a permanent speaker. Well, you know, we'll see how that goes down, which frankly, uh, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, this is only temporary. Next, you know, how often have we heard that in Washington? Next thing you know, something's permanent. So, yeah, which would then be ironic because those those eight uh, Republicans who wanted a more conservative uh, speaker will will end up getting someone who may not be as a conservative as as uh, as as they hoped for. Yeah. All right, folks, we're on with Carrie Pickett, uh, senior congressional reporter from The Washington Times. She uh, used to report for The Washington Examiner and for The Daily Caller. You've seen her on The Sean Hannity Show on the Fox News Channel. You've heard her on Sirius XM Radio. She knows what she's talking about, and she's been on the Hill for a long time. Carrie Pickett, stick with us. I want to continue to pick your brain on what's going on on Capitol Hill today. There was a, uh, some say an insurrection, others say a sit-in. We're going to get the scoop on that straight ahead. Folks, your calls and more, 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. America at Night with Rich Valdez. The U.S. Capitol is a big complex, so where we're standing is an office building just off of the Capitol. It's where members of Congress have their offices. And this is what came just about a half hour ago, a little bit less. You can see demonstrators actually starting to get removed now by U.S. Capitol Police. These are just the second round of demonstrators that we've seen forcibly removed. Another group was occupying this place where I'm standing at the moment just not long ago, and Capitol Police removed them because this is where the press sets up their cameras. There were actually some, because they refused to move, were dragged out of here. This is, again, a group that say on the back of their shirts, uh, shirts excuse me, Jews say ceasefire now. There's another sign that says let Gaza live. It obviously comes in the midst of that ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. That's Jay O'Brien with ABC News reporting on the pro-Hamas insurrectionists that occupied the Capitol Rotunda earlier today. Our guest is Carrie Pickett. She's a senior congressional reporter with The Washington Times. Carrie Pickett, uh, were you on the scene? Did you see any of this stuff? Tell us what's going on. Okay, I, I was not on the scene, but I want to make a correction there. Um, so where they, where they actually were uh, was, was in the Cannon House office building rotunda okay ah, um okay so i mean it looks it looks kind of similar on tv and so uh they the 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 protesters were were gathered on the uh capitol complex so they so, so they were in the in a house office building sure you got uh, cannon and rayburn and all the rest of those offices exactly, around there exactly exactly you have all those uh, house office buildings hanging out there so, but you had over a thousand protesters that just clogged the streets today, and they were in front of the U.S. Capitol. And they were demanding this like immediate ceasefire of Israel's war against the uh, against uh, Hamas. Is, of course, that's the Palestinian terrorist group, and it was organized by this left-wing activist group called Jewish Voice for Peace. And if not now, uh, um, and now the in the uh, ADL the Anti-Defamation League, they described Jewish Voice for Peace as a, quote, radical anti-Israel and anti-Zionist group. And look, that's pretty tough for the ADL to say that you're uh, radical. Yeah, I know. Well, I know. Seriously, because, you know, the uh, ADL has has kind of evolved recently. (laughs) Yeah, they give everybody a pass. Yeah, I I know. Very, very recently. But um, the uh, the mass gathering, they were chanting "Free Palestine, not in our name," and "Ceasefire now." 
Um, and it came just when Biden had reaffirmed his support of the Jewish state when he was visiting Israel today. So I'm not surprised that, like, all of these uh, protesters came in, but they were being dragged out uh, by the Capitol Police. Apparently, um, some Capitol Police were injured while this was going on. So I'm curious uh, whether or not the DOJ is going to take action on that. I'm not holding my breath. Now, did you hear anything about uh, any uh, congressional committees uh, for the October 18th insurrection that hurt the Capitol Police? <laughs> uh, I Once again, I don't see that happening anytime soon uh, because, it, once again, they are more than likely uh, going to say, oh, well, it was happening over in the uh, Capitol complex. It was happening over in the Cannon House office building. It wasn't happening over in the over in the Capitol proper. Yeah, I mean, that's how they're going to be stipulating it. See, that's how it works. It's it's going to be all of these specific things, and and, and there are busloads of them that were that were just coming up and they're unloading and they were just going straight into Cannon House office building. That's how well, I'm, I'm looking at the video and uh, it was a ton of people. There was a ton of people in oh. there. I could only imagine how many were outside. Well, indeed. And um, a, a Capitol Police uh, a spokesperson that told the uh, um, Washington Times that, that three demonstrators were arrested and charged with assault on a police officer. Hmm. So uh, let's see how that is followed up on. Now, remember, uh, the, a far-left squad member, Rashida Tlaib, oh, right, yes. Our favorite, yes, from uh, Michigan, uh, she spoke during the protest, and she broke out in tears when she was describing the uh, videos of the uh, children outside of the Gaza hospital that, the, that, that Hamas bombed uh, on Yeah, on apparently Hamas, uh, Islamic Jihad. Yes, yes, excuse me. Islamic Jihad. I want to make sure that I don't make that mistake of, of, uh, of mislabeling here. But uh, You don't want to course, misgender the terrorists. Carrie Pickett, I don't want to cut yes, you off, but just for exactly. the sake of the audience, I want them to hear what Rashida Tlaib said. Listen to this. Continue to watch people think it's okay to bomb a hospital hey, where children... sometimes is watching those videos and and the people telling the kids don't cry and like let them cry and they're shaking and somebody you know this they keep telling them not to cry in Arabic they do, they can cry I can cry we all can cry if we're not crying something is wrong and so I'm telling you right now President Biden not all America's with you on this one so, Gary Pickett, again, I just again, for the sake of the audience, um, the IDF and news agencies abroad have released video and audio, uh, the video of the Islamic Jihad rockets firing out and moments later hitting the wrong target, uh, as well as the IDF releasing audio uh, that they've captured of Islamic Jihad terrorists admitting that they hit the wrong target. Um, Correct. Did she did she add any of that in her speech? No, no. Not at all. And she knows it. She knows it. And uh, on top of that, you know, here you had uh, conservative lawmakers. They they ended up uh, calling the protesters insurrectionists for interrupting official government proceedings. 
Okay. <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, she coined the nickname uh, Hamas Caucus for Ms. Tlaib's left-leaning group of, pro, <laughs> of, 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 of lawmakers. So, look, this isn't going away anytime soon, Rich. I would imagine we're going to be seeing more protests up on Capitol Hill and in, and in New York City, because that was going on there as well. It was happening all over the country today. Uh, so I, I would expect we're going to be seeing more in the coming weeks. Now, you mentioned Georgia. Uh, I'm looking at a piece you did a couple of days ago, and it says another House Republican enters the speaker race to challenge Jim Jordan. I didn't hear about this when it happened, and I haven't heard about it since. Is this uh, Congressman Austin Scott of Georgia still in the race? No, 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 no. Um, Austin what? Scott, that was uh, that happened like a couple of days ago when the Republicans were were just uh, doing a secret ballot. And uh, Austin Scott put his name into the race, and they were just trying to figure out, you know, whether or not I, – I, I think they were trying to – wanted to make sure that they weren't going to say, oh, we're just doing like a, like a coronation of uh, Jim Jordan. And Austin Scott was sort of like a protest sort of candidate. Mm. Uh, you know, like, no, well, keep in mind, there are about uh, – there were 20 no's against Jordan yesterday, okay? Mm-hmm. Now there were about 22 no's today. And, and so uh, four new no's and two flips to, to, to being yeses to, to a Jordan. They are, are largely composed of appropriators and defense hawks, as well as people who are lawmakers in Biden one districts, okay? So right. the appropriators kind of want their, you know, um, want to make sure that they that they get the money. Like, like they, our friend Ken Buck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but but people like Kate Granger, Steve Womack. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there's also, uh, you know, you have, you have people over in New York like Andrew Garbarino. It seems like the whole Steve New York Lomona. caucus is anti-Jordan. What's the... The not the for whole, that. not the no, 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 not, not the whole. All the new ones. You, well, you have Andrew Garbarino, Nick Walota, Mike Lawler. That's just off the top of my head. But that you know, uh, but you know, many of the like 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 some of them voted for for, for Zeldin or uh, McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing, you know, who knows what their reasonings exactly? But. Uh, Look, this is uh, this could change uh, tomorrow. It may not change tomorrow, uh, you know. But ultimately, uh, some people are saying it, could, it has to do with money. Some people are saying, "Oh, well, they're in blue districts." But then there are people who are in blue districts who did vote for Jordan. So, who knows what exactly the uh, the uh, reasoning is. Now, Carrie Pickett, before I let you go, uh, yesterday we had um, Congressman Richard McCormick from Georgia as well uh, on the program. And he said, you know, today would be a, a pivotal day because if Jordan loses support, uh, he may not be able to advance to other rounds. Now, we saw that he uh-huh. lost a couple of votes, but uh, it, it appears he's going to continue to other rounds. What's your take on how they bump him out? It seems like they're trying to bump him out despite having um, the, um, the gravitas he has with the majority of the caucus. Well, um, I think that uh, 
perhaps they're going to find maybe a replacement, shall we say, uh, someone who is very similar in, uh, shall we say, conservative principles to Jordan, mm-hmm. who can once again unite the Freedom Caucus faction and, and the moderate faction. You see, that's what this is all about. Uh, someone who doesn't have the sort of uh, shadow smear that the that they that that the Freedom Caucus unfortunately has with like a lot of people within the Republican Party, and then also uh, who also doesn't have the smear of what the moderates have within the Republican Party as well with the with the Freedom Caucus, you know, sort of, sort of the reverse, and then they can kind of tie them together. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, no, it does. It seems like they're going for um, um, Patrick McHenry as the the compromised no, no, no. candidate. No, 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 not necessarily Patrick McHenry. Patrick McHenry is more of the administrative guy until they find that that person who has like uh, who is similar to like a Jordan in terms of like you know I'm gonna fight for you, but in the same light doesn't have the unfortunate um, historical background that like Jordan had uh, with like John Boehner, shall I say, which is, mm-hmm. which is where all that sort of, uh, you know, smearing comes from. And that's where uh, very often when people say, why is it that uh, so many moderates think badly of uh, of Jordan, which is kind of unfair, by the way. I think uh, it's totally unfair. People, Carrie, if, would you mind sticking around for another couple of minutes? Sure thing. All right. Let me uh, take a quick uh, commercial right here. Come right back because I want to talk about why Boehner, Gingrich, at least in your opinion, um, why why so many people are beating up on Jordan when I think he's a really solid candidate. Folks, stick with us. Uh, We're on with Kerry Pickett, senior congressional reporter from The Washington Times. Our phone number 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at night with Rich Valdez. The votes are not there uh, at the moment for someone to be speaker. I think it's imperative that we empower Patrick McHenry to serve, uh, at least for the time being, in that speaker role uh, so that he can uh, get the House moving again on critical issues. That's uh, former New York Assemblyman and current uh, Congressman for New York, Westchester County, Mike Lawler, who we've had on the program and have invited back, and he hasn't been able to join us again, uh, saying that if, he, if Jordan doesn't have the votes and we're going to have to take extraordinary measures, Kerry Pickett, we were just talking about this. Where does all of this um, push against Jordan come from? Look, um, I, I want to make clear, as far as Jordan's history is concerned, a lot of people think that Jordan went from being um, a wrestling coach over at Ohio State University, and then somehow he just magically became a congressman up on Capitol Hill, and that's just simply not the case. Uh, back, in, he was a Ohio State lawmaker for like 11 years, uh, but in both chambers before he came to Capitol Hill. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and then he, and then he came to Capitol Hill, and he was, uh, you know, in about 2008, around the same time. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, 
Ken Buck and, and, and others came. It was a huge freshman class, especially, you know, then came 2010. You had the Tea Party. Like, sure. that That was the era that, like, the, 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 like, came in. But the thing about it was just that Boehner hated him, okay? They, uh, Ohio guy as well. And Boehner also served in the state legislature, not necessarily around the same time, but, like, both of them knew each other already. And Boehner just had it out for him. Boehner also hated Mike Pence, okay? Mm. Pence was also the conference chair. And, you know, Boehner always felt sort of, like, threatened, by like certain people who are sort of like rising up in the ranks at the time. Anyhow, when like Boehner, uh, you know, Boehner ended up sort of like uh, watering down the Republican Study Committee. Then, you know, the guys who were in the Republican Study Committee left the, left the RSC, formed the Freedom Caucus, which really angered Boehner. And then a certain faction of the Freedom Caucus. Um, not Jordan, but a certain faction of the Freedom Caucus ended up, you know, threatening Boehner in terms of his speakership and forced Boehner out. Okay, but the thing was that Jordan wasn't part of that little faction of of the Freedom Caucus. But because Jordan was a founder of the Freedom Caucus and was a chairman of the Freedom Caucus, he gets smeared with all of that. Right. And like, and and so he goes around. And in his memoir, called him a legislative terrorist. Okay, <laughs> but the thing about it was Jordan. He was described to me uh, by by like a Freedom Caucus member as being actually quite pragmatic. He's actually quite transactional, in fact. But the thing about it is, is that he's he sort of lumped in with like the group that like pushed out Boehner and pushed out Ryan. But he was never part of that group. You see, right. but also, what is a fair criticism of Jordan is that he always wanted to be the guy who was always like you know out there fighting, 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 but didn't pass bills, and that is a fair criticism. If you're going to be speaker, you're going to have to you know be the one out there passing bills and you know putting bills on the floor, and that's what's kind of hurt him right now. Got it. All right. Well. Kerry Pickett, I want to thank you for clarifying that for us and giving us some insight we didn't have before. Kerry, uh, let everybody know how they could follow you and find you online. Yeah, just follow me at, at Kerry Pickett, K-E-R-Y-P-I-C-K-E-T. That is over on Twitter. And also find me at the Washington Times as well. And also find me on uh, my website, kerrypickett.com. Kerry, great website, by the way. I've been on it. You could see a picture of Kerry Pickett. Uh, very easy on the eyes, big green eyes. Kerry Pickett, thank you for joining us. Sure thing. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hasta la próxima. All right, folks, we're going to continue uh, our conversation with you all and our callers straight ahead, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So President Biden went to Israel today, and of course he was there, and he's already left. And guess how many hostages he negotiated the release of? Yep, that's right. Zero, nada, zilch, zero. He didn't do anything. Uh, President Biden visited Israel on Wednesday in a high-stakes diplomatic mission to show unwavering solidarity to the U.S., 
to the U.S. ally while also balancing humanitarian needs and growing fears of a wider conflict. That's uh, ABC News. And all I could say is, I don't know. It seemed to me like he, you know, gave Hamas a chance to regroup, said he was dedicating some money to to Gaza. And um, to me, that seems like if they're getting money in humanitarian aid, then they could spend the money they've got on buying more bombs from Iran. I don't know. Call me a cynic, if you will. And call me on the phone if you want. 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDES. We're going to talk about Biden's trip to Israel, and we're going to get uh, in-depth with uh, this um, conversation on Hamas and uh, the fake phony fraud blame game that they put on Israel for blowing up that hospital when it was Islamic Jihad that blew them up. And we're going to do that with our buddy Brian Leib. Uh, you remember him. He was the uh, head of the... Iranian-Americans for Liberty, and he's coming up with us next. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program, Tuesday night, hour number two, and our phone number, if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to do it, 833, I know the number, I promise you, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, a bunch of things are going on. Of course, Jim Jordan did not make the second ballot today, but uh, they're... You know, first you don't succeed, try, try again. They're going to do it again tomorrow. Wishing Jim Jordan good luck. Uh, We learned a little bit about that with uh, Carrie Pickett uh, in the first hour. And I want to switch gears and talk about some of the stuff that's going on internationally. Of course, Joe Biden was in Israel today. There was plenty that he had to say. And uh, none of it really projected American strength. Of course, uh, last night, or was it the night before, that Iran came out and said, listen, if... uh, you know, if the United States gets involved, we're going to be hitting different targets. Or we're going to we're going to do what we got to do. And of course, uh, they're keeping their uh, end of the bargain. Right. There was a drone strike. And this is an interesting one because let me see where I where I put this drone strike the hill. Here we go. It's in the hill. And uh, according to this, the Pentagon says the drone attacks on the U.S. troops in Iraq were thwarted with minor injuries. Uh, But it's suspected that these drones were uh, brought into Iraq by Iran. And this is, uh, in my opinion, again, call me whatever you want to call me. People do that anyway. If you attack American troops, no matter where they are, we're at war with you. And if that's not the case, it should be. Right. How do you do that? How do you go in? uh, We've had all this Chinese aggression, just a sidebar. Every time one of our drones or planes is in the air, the, the, the Chinese want to come by and sideswipe us. Russia's doing the same thing. They're taunting us, and we're doing nothing in, in retaliation. 
Now we've got an attempted attack against uh, U.S. and coalition forces in Iraq, and it was disrupted early in the morning. Uh, Colonel Sean Heidgerken said in a statement to The Hill, two one-way drones were shot down in the attack. U.S. Uh, CENTCOM, Central Command, which oversees American forces in the Middle East, later said the drone was destroyed and one was damaged, resulting in minor injuries. Officials didn't say who was suspected of being behind the attack, which was aimed at the Al-Assad Air Base. Now, they didn't say it, but um, widely believed to be uh, the, the Iranians. Hours later, another drone attack targeted the Al-Harir Air Base in Erbil in northern Iraq, a location that houses American forces. And an Iranian-backed militia in Iraq claimed responsibility for that incident, which was also thwarted, according to multiple reports. CENTCOM confirmed U.S. forces engaged and destroyed a drone, uh, resulting in no injuries or damage. Now, these attacks are the first such attempts on U.S. troops in Iraq in more than a year and come as Washington fears the Hamas-Israel war may broaden into a wider conflict or be used by Iran-backed groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and others as a chance to destabilize the region. Well, I've got news for The Hill, and that's our article I was looking at is in The Hill. Uh, Miss Ellen Mitchell, uh, if you don't think the region's currently destabilized, please listen to this program because we talk about it every single day. And I think the, the Middle East is on fire right now. Europe on fire. All of this happening under Joe El Baboso Biden's watch. Now, I want you to hear a clip from the president. He was in Israel today, and he says that the uh, hospital bombing was not done by the Israelis, as it was reported by every pro-Hamas media agency out there. It was, in fact, conducted by Islamic Jihad. Listen to this. I'm deeply sad and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. But there's a lot of people out there who are not sure. So we've got to overcome a lot of things. And also it's encouraging life-saving uh, capacity to help the Palestinians who are innocent caught in the middle of this. So I want to get reaction to that audio because Biden, Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe, he says, uh, blah, 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 and uh, it was the other team, right? Uh, I want to get to the bottom of that with a friend of the program, a friend of mine, Brian Leib. You remember him. He was the executive director of Amer- uh, Iranian Americans for Liberty. He's the founder of Henry Public Relations. Brian Leib, welcome back, sir. Good to be with you, Rich. Thank you so much. You bet, brother. So when you hear the president of the United States, the commander in chief, uh, again, after, you know, I'm, it seems to me unlimited reports today in um, real media that are saying, no, no, there's video, there's audio, there's all sorts of stuff saying that this was done by uh-huh. Islamic Jihad. Um, how does it make you feel? You're happy that Joe Biden told the truth today? You know, he told the truth, but he told the truth in the Joe Biden way of telling the truth. Um, you know, words and tone matter when you're the president of the United States, Rich. And and the fact he said the words, it appears, uh, and the tone was 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 a very weak tone, uh, really didn't instill any kind of confidence, uh, I think, in anyone that was listening or watching. 
you know, he could have been very clear and should have been very clear and said that the IEF was not involved with this in any way, shape, or form, and shame on uh, the radical fashions inside of Hamas and, and the other terrorist groups in Gaza that killed their own citizens. That would have been the appropriate response, if you're asking me, you know, what he should have said. Um, and, uh, you know, all he does at every turn, and we've been talking about this ever since he took office a few years ago, Rich, is he just... He's just a walking, you know, projection of weakness. I mean, everywhere he goes. I mean, I think it was important for him to be in Israel. Uh, certainly was a good show of force. But um, again, you know, the tone and the messaging was was not strong. It was not a show of force. Uh, and it was very weak, to be honest with you. That's my analysis of it. You know, Brian Live, it sounded to me like he was almost sad, like, oh, it appears it was the, the wrong team that did it. I was hoping it was the Israelis. It's kind of how it sounded to me. Uh, again, that's my position on it. But when, when you talk about projecting weakness and being in, uh, in, in Israel today, talking about the, um, the, the murderous genocide that Hamas is trying to conduct on Israel, I, I look yeah. at this and I think, I think an Oval Office, um, address might have been just as good. I understand you send these aircraft carriers and the president, you know, sets foot in Israel. But at the same time, I realize that whenever the president of the United States goes anywhere, there's a lot of security. Uh, of course, they're not going to take the, the, the same type of uh, tactics because they don't want a war. Um, and maybe they do, but it didn't seem like they wanted one. And it almost seems to me that he's giving them a chance to regroup a, a little bit of a reprieve. Uh, he's stopping the Israelis, uh, in effect, from really advancing because they're they're protecting Netanyahu and him, and and he's giving Hamas a chance to do what they've got to do on their side. And I I don't know, maybe that's just me being a conspiracy theorist. Am I wearing a tinfoil hat, Brian Leib? Well, Rich, you're forgetting the fact that he also announced on Israel soil today that the Biden administration would be sending $100 million of humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip. Now, there there is no one in the Gaza Strip to administer such humanitarian aid other than Hamas. Um, and we know very well over the years what's happened when U.S. Uh, aid dollars and humanitarian aid has come into the region. It's, it's, it's not been used... Uh, to help the citizens, the people. It's been used to build terror tunnels. It's been used to build rockets. I mean, this is what this is what Hamas does. Um, and the fact that the president would think it's appropriate uh, to announce $100 million uh, into into Gaza, really, it, it just doesn't make much sense. And, and this is the same president that, you know, on 60 Minutes, uh, you know, he, you know, was talking, you know, out of both sides of his mouth, Rich. And one side, he said, you know, it, yes, it is Israel's right to, they need to, they need to get rid of the radical elements of Hamas, but, but maybe they should engage with the, with the more level-headed sides of Hamas. Are you kidding me? There There's is a level-headed side? Of Hamas? <laughs> exactly. Like, are you kidding me? Like Hamas is, is Hamas is pure Pure existence, their founding charter is to eradicate the state of Israel and kill every single Jew in Israel and around the world. And that's what happened on October 7th. We saw 1,400 Israelis massacred, raped, babies beheaded, children beheaded, 
they cut up they cut open the, the the stomachs rich of pregnant women and cut the babies out and, and and this is who we're dealing with this is who Hamas is and and we also I think have to connect the dots and you and I have talked about this many times rich is that the Islamic Republic of Iran is involved in every single aspect of Hamas and before I came on I was hearing your your opening monologue talking about uh, these drone attacks that happened in Iraq. Of course, that is the Islamic Republic of Iran. We have been in a de facto state of war uh, with the Islamic Republic of Iran vis-a-vis their terrorist proxies for decades now, and so has Israel. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things that I think the American people, the Israeli people, and I think mankind as a whole have to worry about on a day-to-day basis. But I would argue that it's never been more clear to me, and I think to a lot of people, Rich, that radical Islam is really the most dangerous thing that we have to face, whether it's in the Middle East, we're seeing it happen here on U.S. soil with the pro-Hamas protests that are happening uh, here uh, in our country, um, you know, and, and it, it should be very easy, you know, for, for President Biden and really for, for any elected official uh, to say that we as a country stand on the side of good and not on the side of evil. But yet here you have Joe Biden talking about maybe there's a radical, there's a, there's a rational version of Hamas that we can engage with. I mean, the guy's just delusional. There's just no lights on upstairs. It's, it's just, uh, it's sad to see rich, but you know, listen, the world's taking advantage of it. And, 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 you know, when America projects weakness, our adversaries grow closer to each other, they grow stronger than ever before. And the end result is the fact that Hamas never would have been able to carry out this massacre if it were not for the material support of the Islamic Republic of Iran, who's grown exponentially stronger under Joe Biden's watch. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. That's pure cold hard facts. And I agree with that. I totally agree with that statement. Uh, but I have to say, I take exception to what you said, because if if Biden feels um, that this is or you made a statement that the the biggest threat we face is is radical uh, jihadists, then clearly you haven't been paying attention to Christopher Ray or Merrick Garland, who say that it's parents at school board meetings that are the largest threat. Right. White supremacy is the biggest threat to America. Yeah, but 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 here you have Christopher Ray changing his tune in recent days where he is saying that there is a clear and present uh, present threat here in, in radical Islam. And I, Rich, I, I listen, obviously, I, I agree with what you're saying. The fact that the Biden administration and many of his officials, you know, have have really taken their eyes off the ball uh, when it comes to the real threat. They're I mean, blind. Obviously, they're not even looking at the ball. They're, yeah, they're blind, and it's also, I think, a calculated misdirection. I mean, who in their right mind would would think it's a it's it's a it's a right thing to call parents radical, uh, you know, domestic terrorists because you know they're upset about the woke ideology and the CRT that's being shoved down their kids' throats. I mean, you know, uh, you know, God forbid, a parent wants to have a say, you know, in, in what's being taught to their children, and and mm-hmm. and and here you have Merrick Garland and others labeling domestic terrorists. So. This administration's lost their way on a lot of things, and uh, sad to say, it's it's all it's all coming full circle right now, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you, Brian. Live, it, it is remarkable that you'll have people say there are Hamas fighters, 
and that parents are violent domestic extremists or domestic terrorists. Folks, we're coming right back with Brian Leib. Don't go anywhere. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. People of Gaza need food, water, medicine, shelter. Today I asked the Israeli cabinet, who I met with for some time this morning, to agree to the delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza, based on the understanding that there will be inspections, and that the aid should go to civilians, not to Hamas. President Biden clarified that if uh, Hamas diverts or steals the assistance, they will have demonstrated once again that they have no concern for the welfare of the Palestinian people and it will end. Very tough words from President Joe El Baboso Biden. Folks, we're on with our guest, Brian Live. Uh, you know him. He's the former executive director of Iranian Americans for Liberty and the founder of Henry Public Relations. He's uh, always well-versed on foreign policy. And, um, Brian, I want you to entertain a call from Sandra. She's calling in from Dothan, Alabama, WDBT. Sandra, go right ahead. Yes, my question is, this: since Biden has said, you know, we're going to back Israel, whatever, we're going to be there, da-da-da-da-da, he flies over there, and now he gives a hundred million. What do you think the What do you think right now Netanyahu is feeling towards Biden, or feeling to the U.S. that we're going to cop up this hundred million dollars when uh, Netanyahu knows that this money will go to Hamas? Okay, thank you, Sandra. Brian Live. Well, uh, Sandra, I think it's two things. Great question. Uh, one, uh, first of all, I think we all know the money's not going to actually uh, get to uh, people that need it. Secondly, uh, all this does is, is slow the process down uh, where the IDF, I think, is very much prepared for a full, full, full-scale ground offensive. Uh, and if they have to worry about humanitarian you know, things going in and out, it's, it's definitely going to get in their way. And I think this was a calculated move by the Biden administration to, to try and slow the, the Netanyahu administration down a little bit. And they've been pretty clear about that, too. I mean, you know, that they, they don't want to see Israel uh, go in and, 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 and occupy, uh, occupy Gaza. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's by the way, I think it's not just Netanyahu that's offended. I think uh, I've already spoken with quite a bit of Israelis today about it. They're in Israel uh, and they're very offended uh, that that President Biden would fly all the way to Israel only to say that, you know, he, he wants to support both sides. Uh, there is no longer both sides. There is good versus evil. Uh, there is radical terrorism versus democracy. Um, there is no longer both sides. We, we saw that unfold on October 7th when 1,400 innocent human beings were slaughtered. There is no longer both sides. Well put, Brian Leib. And Brian Leib, in the uh, 45 seconds we have remaining, let everybody know how they could learn about the work that you're doing and how they could follow you. Yeah, so, so Rich, I recently started a public relations firm that's uh, focused on helping conservative voices, conservative leaders, really get attention uh, and exposure in national media. Uh, and you can take a look at my website, which is henrypr.com. 
uh, to learn a little bit more uh, about uh, what I'm doing uh, and what we're doing to, to really help conservative voices and conservative leaders get more attention in the media. Thanks for having me, Rich. You bet. Thank you, Brian Live. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Folks, we continue with more straight ahead. Our phone number, 833-482-5537, 833-4-VALDEZ. And we're going to get into what happens when relationships are on the rocks. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Familia, welcome back. Amigos, I want to talk about when a relationship between the voter and the county registrar is on the rocks, right? Because one wants to trust that their supervisor of elections, county registrar, county clerk, uh, secretary of state is doing the right thing in an election. But when you feel like it's not, the integrity of the voting process becomes strained. And there's a piece in American Greatness today and it's a it's a very eye opening piece because it it brings to light something that we talk about every now and again, but it puts a really fine point on it. And it's written by Bart Marcois. He's a former diplomat for the United States, former principal deputy assistant secretary for international affairs at the Department of Energy. Bart Marcois, welcome, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Rich. I appreciate being on. You bet. So uh, the title of your piece, Troubling Ballot Chicanery in Virginia Elections Requires Immediate Action. Uh, The Electoral Board Must Do Its Job and Invalidate a Clearly Invalid Candidacy. And we see all sorts of chicanery whenever elections come around. But tell us the specifics about this one. Sure, I'd be glad to. You know, I've been an election observer all around the country, and I've even done it internationally when I was a diplomat and and in my post-diplomatic career. Um, and and I've seen all kinds of ways to cheat on elections. And one of them, the most common, and it's done in, in counties and cities and states where the Democrats have a large uh, numerical advantage, where they control all of the oversight positions, they simply apply an, a, a, um, an unfair standard uh, an, an unbalanced standard uh, when when evaluating the validity of of election matters. And what's at stake here, what happened here is, you know, before you get on the ballot, you have to qualify. And the main thing you have to do to qualify, this was a school board race. And to qualify for the school board, you had to get 125 signatures they have to be verified by the by the county registrar as voters in the district that you're running in. It's very simple. You have your friends go out and stand in front of the supermarket and and say, will you sign this petition to get my friend on the ballot? And if you need 125, you go out and you keep going till you get 250 or 300 just to make sure that you got the right amount. Well, this woman went out, she got exactly 125 signatures, and she turned in her petitions, but her petitions did not follow the law. They were invalid, explicitly 
violating things that are forbidden in state law and the registrar accepted them anyway. And, and it's not fair and she should be kicked off the ballot. Now, how do you know that all this happened? Well, fortunately there was a, uh, a lawsuit filed by the uh, local county Republican party. A couple of voters uh, brought the lawsuit. They had gone in and, and exercise their right to view the uh, ballot petitions. And they saw that there were, in the, in the case of the lawsuit, there, were, there was one petition that had six signatures on it that didn't have dates after them. Well, the trouble with that is these, these ballot petitions have to be notarized. And the, the notary has to sign it. He has to say, these signatures were on the ballot when I viewed it as of this date to make sure if, if, they, if the signatures aren't valid, they could have been added after he notarized it to get up to the requisite number of, uh, of uh, signatures. And they took it to the judge and the judge said, you know, I have discretion whether to rule on this myself or kick it to the electoral board. I'm going to kick it to the electoral board and let them decide. And that's, a, that's an oversight board that, that oversees the registrar and says, yes, what he did is right, or no, what he did isn't quite proper. Well, in the course of discovery, the, the, the voters who filed an affidavit saw that there was another petition that had 11 more signatures on it, and the petition did not have the proper address on the front of the petition. Now, that, again, is explicitly listed in Virginia state law. All petitions must have the home address of the candidate on the front of the petition. And it's especially troubling because the candidate signed this in front of a notary under penalty of perjury and, and under penalty of fraud, saying that she circulated that petition. So there are two faults with it. One, it doesn't have her home address. And two, if she's the one circulating the petition, how come she didn't know her own address? How could she have made that mistake? And, mm. and so, the, you know, there are now, what, uh, the, the 17 problematic signatures, and she's well below the threshold required to get on the ballot. And inexplicably, the registrar let her on the ballot anyway. And, and uh, the electoral board can say, you know what, she is not on there properly. And any votes for her will be discounted. Doesn't matter how many votes she gets. She's not eligible to run and she's not eligible to serve. And that's what, that's what I think should happen. Oh, I agree with you. And and this is not exclusive to Virginia politics. This is pretty much anywhere. Um, there's a candidate running for New York City Council in New York City. His name is Michael Ragusa. And he um, his candidates just challenged his signatures. And uh, they found that some of them weren't genuine, or at least they're alleging that some of them are not genuine. And um, he had hired some company that dropped the ball on helping to gain petition signatures. And it's it's um, it's quite scandalous. But this is one of the easiest ways to knock somebody off of a ballot is to just challenge their signatures. And in most cases, 
if you challenge them and you find out, oh, well, you got John Smith, but John Smith doesn't live in X, Y, and Z County. He lives in ABC County. So guess what? You don't have the right amount. You're off the ballot. You can run again next time. And most of the time, that's exactly how it plays out. But in this case, it seems that they've decided to just let them go anyway. Uh, is this, uh, to me, it seems like a clear case of preference for this candidate uh, or their version of um, electoral interference. What's your, how do you surmise the, um, the impetus for this? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was talking to somebody who's very familiar with this process uh, earlier today. And he said, you know, what I can't figure out is this registrar used to be a real stickler and he was a stickler for uh, the, for both parties uh he was he had a fair hand and i think that the pressure is just getting so great people fear the takeover of of uh, uh the, what the, it all comes down to donald trump next year um the the left not just the democrat party but the 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 leftists in America are trying to make sure on a state by state basis that Trump is not eligible to run or that he faces hurdles in running. And if, if the, if the registrar can be made to, to be unfair now in a school board election, then he can be made to be unfair in the vote counting later today, later this month or later this year in in uh, the state legislative elections, he can be made to be unfair in the counting in the uh, in the county supervisor elections in all of them. And 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 then next year, everything is set up to defeat Trump, to have a state apparatus set up to have illegal, uh, uh, you know, non-citizens vote, to have uh, uh, felons vote, to have all kinds of, to, to vote from the grave, to vote from people that have moved out of state, to refuse to clean up the voter rolls. Uh, all of this starts with a with an unfair election administration. And as you say, this is nationwide. It's happening everywhere. This is one small race in one county one very large county, the largest county in Virginia, it's the one where all the votes are. And if they can pressure this guy to be unfair now, then what are they going to do to pressure him when they're counting the votes for the, the uh, state legislative races three weeks from now? The Virginians are voting right now. There's early voting going on right now. This woman has uh, probably already received you know, 800 votes or, or you know, 3,000 votes or 8,000 votes. I don't know how many, um, but all of those votes should be invalidated because she never belonged on the ballot in the first place. Folks, Ron, with Bart Marcois, uh, you um, can check out his piece in amgreatness.com. The troubling ballot chicanery in Virginia elections requires immediate action. He's a former U.S. diplomat and former principal deputy assistant secretary for international affairs at the Department of Energy. And we're going to come back and talk about uh, some uh, diplomatic and international affairs issues with our guest, Bart Marcois. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I want to discuss this uh, story here. And, of course, we're on with our guest, Bart Marcois. He's the uh, former principal deputy assistant secretary for international affairs at the department of energy he was also a career diplomat and the united states government has just hired a pro hamas plo spokeswoman to handle asylum claims in the united states some of the things um that she's said online are f israel the government and its military are you ready for your downfall? Again, that's Department of Homeland Security Officer Nuja Ali. The U.S. Immigration Enforcement Agency hired a former spokeswoman for the Palestinian Liberation Organization and put her in a position to determine who gets to come into the country as an immigrant or a quote-unquote asylum seeker. Now, the Department of Homeland Security is uh, repeatedly posting pictures, or this particular officer is uh, posting pictures of Hamas terrorists parachuting in with guns and writing F Israel and any Jew who supports Israel. And that's uh, according to the Daily Wire. Nuja Ali worked in 2016 and 2017 as a public affairs officer for the Palestinian delegation to the United States, which, according to its own website, served as the PLO office in D.C. That office was expelled from the country by the Trump administration, but Ali landed on her feet, according to a screenshot of her LinkedIn profile, securing a job at the Department of Homeland Security as an asylum officer where she was tasked with applying immigration laws and regulations to asylum applicants. Crazy. You can't make this up. So since January, uh, she moved over to being a adjudication officer for the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. And people with that job, according to the agency, quote, analyze new or amended legislation and policy, prepare written reports of findings, and review and make determinations on cases for immigration benefits. Now, this is, um, again, disappointing, but not surprising. I would love to say I'm shocked, but I'm not. It seems like part and parcel of what uh, Democrats typically do, especially the left within our government, the left within the media, the left uh, within um, uh, academia. Everybody seems to be working in concert to promote their agenda through every avenue they get their hands on. So, Bart Marcois, I want to get your reaction to this, because as a former diplomat, uh, I, I feel like, um, you know, you've probably seen this happen before. I have. And I'm not only a former diplomat, but I am a former State Department Arabist and I'm fluent in Arabic. And I have hundreds and hundreds of Arab and Muslim friends. Every single one of them knew that I was a committed Zionist. Um, I made no bones about my support for Israel, even when I was over there, when I was uh 
working in the Middle East and in um, Arab countries. And, uh, you know, people that I cared about didn't care about my Zionist tendencies. We'd argue for three or four times and then they'd give up and shrug and say, it's okay, we understand you have your opinions and we like you anyway. This woman is just beyond the pale. And, and she was born in America. She was born in Dearborn, Michigan. And uh, she probably doesn't even know her own, uh, um, you know, her own community very well outside of Dearborn and outside of whatever, whatever, uh, you know, family and, and um, you know, local clan, uh, if you'll forgive the expression that she belongs to. She is, it's unbelievable the things that she's writing. She's filled with hate. She's filled with anger. And she says, oh, American born, but Palestinian at heart. Well, then go live in Palestine if that's where your heart is. <laughs> and there is no way that somebody like this should be adjudicating who gets to enter the United States. What is, what's an Israeli who, who applies for U.S. citizenship? What kind of treatment is he or she going to get at the hands of this woman? Um, uh, she is, she, you know, she's posting cartoons of, you know, Jews with big noses and, and she's uh, uh, posting tropes and, and uh, images and, and perpetuating stereotypes. And, and I mean, I haven't seen so many F-bombs in, uh, in, a, in a text since, you know, I've been sad, you know, I read the lyrics of, um, of uh, some hip hop songs. It, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's really disgusting. Um, and, and what really troubles me is that anybody, whoever it was that hired her and whoever it was that approved that hiring looked at what she wrote, looked at who she was, because it's all out there. Right. It's all out there on, uh, on Instagram and on, uh, and on uh, X and other social media platforms. And they didn't and care. They didn't care. They said, we like the cut of your jib, and we're going to hire you. And when she, when she uh, got in, uh, mm -hmm. when, when she had to change jobs, she went over to a more important job. It was a promotion. You can't make this stuff up. Bart Marcoy, hang on right there. We're going to come right back with you straight ahead. Folks, we're on with Bart Marcoy, former U.S. diplomat and former principal deputy assistant secretary for international affairs at the Department of Energy. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. Let's keep pursuing a path so that Israel and the Palestinian people can both live safely, in security, in dignity, and in peace. For me, that means a two-state solution. We must keep working for Israel's greater integration with its neighbors. These attacks only strengthen my commitment and determination and my will to get that done. Bart Markoy, is a two-state solution possible? 30 seconds to you. Not in a million years, not after that attack that we saw out of Gaza. We've seen what uh, the people of Gaza will do to the Jews. The minute they get a chance, they massacre them. 
uh, indiscriminately. They kill civilians. They rape them. They behead them. Uh, men, women, children, elderly, all of them. You're going to give people like that the power of a state. You're going to give them a vote at the U.N. You're going to give them the power to import more weapons and to increase their ability to to kill the Israelis. And and it's and it's not just the people who live in Gaza. Look at the Palestinians all over the world who are singing and dancing and handing out sweets. No, no state. They Doesn't blew work. that on October 7th. I, I agree with you there. Bart Markoy, thank you for joining us. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Folks, give him a follow at B Markoy's on Twitter and the rest of the social media. Bart, thanks again for being with us. I'm coming right back. It's Open Phone America, and it starts right now. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and happy to be with you on this uh, Wednesday night. Our phone number, if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a bunch of things happening today. There was a little bit of a melee in the courthouse. Uh, Trump is on day two of his uh, trial this week. And uh, we had a clip of audio last night of Trump um, saying how corrupt the district attorney of New York was. And I just want to replay it for you because uh, I love that he's standing up for himself. And uh, we're going to get to your calls as well, by the way, on everything we talked about from the speaker's race to what's going on with Hamas and everything else you'd like to talk about tonight. Listen to former President Trump at the courthouse in New York just yesterday. This is a disgraceful situation. This is an attorney general. That went out and uh, campaigned on, I will get Trump. I will get Trump no matter what. I'll get Trump. I promise I'll get him. We have two tapes on her now that have come out since the trial because people took tapes of her because they couldn't believe her ranting and raving like a lunatic. But this is the Attorney General of New York State, Patricia James, and she shouldn't be allowed to be Attorney General. She's defrauded the public with this trial. She said that Mar a Lago, she convinced the judge at Mar a Lago. And of course, uh, Trump making the case that his property was worth much more uh, than than he stated it was worth. They say the exact opposite, that he committed fraud. He borrowed money from the bank. The bank did the appraisal. They lent him the money. He paid the money bank. The bank has uh, offered already written testimony saying he's paid it back. 
Uh, nobody's claiming that there's a crime except for the attorney general, which is her job. And she's got to prove that in court. Of course, the uh, the judge uh, already saying, yes, I agree that you, you're you're a fraudster. And now they're trying to come up with a sentence for him, uh, likely to uh, appeal this type of thing. But listen to this. In the, the process of the proceedings, a court employee was arrested after trying to approach Trump during his New York City civil fraud trial. And she was arrested Wednesday today after she tried to approach former President Trump, claiming she wanted to help him during his uh, ongoing civil fraud trial. The, the woman who cops identified as Jenny Hannigan was charged with contempt of court for disrupting the proceedings in the Manhattan Supreme Court just before noon by standing up and walking towards the front of the courtroom, yelling out to Mr. Trump. Office of the Court Administration uh, made this statement. Uh, that's a spokesman named Lucian Chalfin. And uh, a New York Post reporter that was inside the courtroom at the time didn't hear Hannigan yell, but she was caught talking loudly in the hallway after being escorted out. Hannigan's 37 years old from Baldwin, New York, and is a secretary for a judge in Queens, according to the courthouse uh, officials. They said that no one answered a phone number at an address that was listed for her, so they couldn't get a comment. But Hannigan was wearing a black dress, a matching blazer, and was stopped by court officers before she could get near Trump and his attorneys who were seated at the defense table. Uh, none of the parties were ever in any danger, they said. The uh, ex-president left uh, court for the day at around 3 o'clock, 3.30, and he said he didn't know about the woman's arrest. The apparent commotion uh, she caused was, you know, disruptive. There's a picture of her in the New York Post article. A uh, young woman, kind of like, a, I believe they call this ombre, this hairstyle, where it's kind of like brown on top and blonde on the bottom. And... Um, you know, not particularly attractive, but there she is with her black blazer and dress on. And um, <laughs> Trump says, who got arrested? We didn't know anything about it. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> Hannigan was first asked to take a seat in the courtroom gallery before an officer asked to speak with her outside the room at 1145. She entered uh, the media hallway where all the reporters are gathered speaking loudly. And um, they, some say that she was uh, saying she was scared as the group of officers surrounded her, asking her to lower her voice. After escorting Hannigan downstairs to the first floor, officers cuffed her as she yelled, help me, help me, and uh, save me for several minutes, according to sources at the courthouse. Now, meanwhile, inside the courtroom, uh, there was a testimony by Doug Larson. He's a real estate appraiser. He continued uh, his testimony without any major interruption, despite the drama that was going on. And Ms. Hannigan was charged with one count of second-degree contempt uh, for disrupting the proceeding and was given a desk appearance ticket. Now, in New York, a desk appearance ticket is colloquially known as a disappearance ticket. You just never show up and nothing ever happens. She was placed on administrative leave and banned from the state court buildings uh, pending an investigation into the incident. Now, earlier, Trump had appeared uh, agitated during Larson's testimony uh, saying to his lawyers and uh, shaking to shaking his head, gesturing that the appraiser was um, inaccurate and whatnot. Uh, Trump's behavior prompted Kevin Wallace, a lawyer in the New York Attorney General's office, to object, saying, "Can the defendant please stop commenting during the witness testimony?" Uh, Justice Arthur Engeron, who is uh, the deciding judge on the case, um, there's no jury on this case; it's just the judge. 
issued a broad warning to anyone in the courtroom, including Trump and others, to keep quiet, particularly if it's meant to influence the testimony of a witness. It seems anything Trump does, if he were to sneeze, they'd say, look, stop tampering with the witness, Mr. Trump. I think they're just so out of hand here. Trump's lawyers later claimed that Larson had lied on the stand and Larson was eventually told to leave the room as the attorneys and the judge discussed the claim. The perjury uh, claim stemmed from the question of whether Larson has worked with the Trump organization. Controller Jeff McConney, a co-defendant in the case, to value Trump's properties back in 2013. Now, while questioning Larson, Trump attorney Lazaro Fields, he accused him of testifying on Tuesday that he hadn't worked with McConney while producing an email of Larson communicating with McConney at the same time. He said, you lied, Mr. Larson, didn't you? And uh, Mr. Larson said, I did not. That's what I recall. Trump lawyers Chris Kies uh, then stood up and interjected that Larson should be advised of his Fifth Amendment right against incriminating himself, drawing uh, audible groans from the lawyers at the AG's table. He perjured himself yesterday, in my opinion, Kies said during the hearing, while the AG's office accused the former president's legal team of amping up theatrics for the media that was assembled there. Uh, This is a performance for the press behind us and not a real legal issue, uh, said Wallace after the court officer escorted uh, Larson out of the room. This is witness intimidation, the attorney general counsel Colleen Kelly Faherty shouted. Both sides continued having heated discussion after Larson left the room. Uh, Attorney Kai said that Larson should take a break from testimony to speak with his own lawyers about his potential perjury risk. Unlike the government, I take those rights seriously, hissed Kais, again drawing groans from the AG's table. Good for him, doing what he's got to do in there. After a few minutes, Engeron ordered Larson to take the stand, uh, suggesting I don't see an inconsistency in his testimony. Of course not, Judge. This is the blindest judge in history. Larson, an executive vice president at a real estate company called Newmark, testified for the majority of Tuesday, as well as the same day Trump made his uh, return to court. And it goes on, and uh, I'll put this out on social media if you want to take a look at the rest of it. Uh, But uh, the bottom line here is there was a lot of back and forth saying, you lied, no, you lied, no, you lied, no, you lied. And then this woman says, I'm here to help you. And they arrest her, and then she says, help me, help me, help me. I mean, no shortage of drama in the Trump trial in New York City. And I got to tell you, I'm smiling. I I read these things and I laugh. It's just, uh, it's, it's great entertainment. Uh, It's sad that it's happening to him and the way that they're going about it, that you have all these people in positions of power that are doing everything they can to uh, destroy a candidacy of of any citizen. But because it's Trump, they feel better and they could sleep at night. Anyway, I want to get to your calls and more straight ahead. Let's, uh, let's see, what do we got here? We've got Kim in Shields, Michigan on KDKA online. Kim, go right ahead. Thank you, Rich. Um, Mine is short tonight, but it's an observation that I've made. Um, All these women prosecutors in high places that are going after President Trump are black. So it's racist. It's they're racist against President Trump. And I wonder why do you think Black women hate President Trump so much that they would try to put him in prison for 700 years and stuff like that. What, what do you Are you think saying that, that because they're black, they're racist against white people? Or just racist against Trump? Because then it would, he's not his own race, right? Well, I think it's because he's a successful white guy. 
you know, um, but but if you have a different idea, you know, if if you think it's because he's, uh, what do you think? It's because he's a Republican uh, conservative? You know, Kim, I don't know. I, I mean, I hadn't really honestly noticed that. Um, I mean, of course, that, that, that could potentially be a thing, but I, I, it doesn't strike me as that. Uh, I think overall there is a, a movement uh, amongst people uh, of, of color that subscribe to like the, the BLM movement and stuff like that, critical race theory and whatnot, where there is a, a, a very pronounced anti-white bias. I think that's for sure. Um, and this may be part of that. Um, I, I couldn't say for sure because Letitia James has never made it about race in, from what I can see. Uh, but it, it is an interesting observation. You've got Funny Willis and uh, Tish James, and um, he's not a black woman, but uh, Alvin Bragg. And then you got Jack Smith, right, uh, who, who are the, the, the people bringing these cases. Uh, I, I don't think it's race. Honestly, I think it's it's part of a, a racialist narrative that's out there that, you know, uh, rich white men or old white men are somehow the problem for everyone, unless it's Bernie Sanders, then it's okay. Unless it's Joe Biden, then it's okay. But ultimately, I do think there is an anti-white bias uh, in the media and in politics and in, in our culture overall, and that may play a role in it. And Trump is kind of like the scapegoat, the sacrificial lamb, if you will. They're saying, you know, here's the, the best uh, old white guy we can find to prosecute. But I think that's only part of it. I really feel that ultimately they know that if they can convict him on one of these these crimes – they can bar him from running. And and that's, I think, their goal. The goal is to say, you know, um, you, you've been um, barred from holding from holding office and he'll run and he can. You know, the, the scholars have come out and said you can get arrested, get sentenced and be elected president and run it from the jailhouse instead of the White House. And I get that uh, they would have had to have get him you know, prior to running. But I think they're they're doing everything they can to stop him. So that they can run a campaign in November, not this November, next November, where they say the person that's running for president right now is a convicted felon. Would you put that man in the White House? And I think they're banking on getting one of these convictions by that time so that they can make that case. And I don't think it has to do with race as much as much as it has to do with politics and power. And I think they're really just after the power and the power that Trump has is in him. Right. It's not even his money. It's that he connects with so many people. And people feel like Trump really represents their values. And it's that that power that they don't like. The fact that Trump can really galvanize people. And that's scary to people that feel that the government should be galvanizing people. And that's how Marxists think. At least that's my thought on it. Kim, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Folks, we go to your calls and more straight ahead. We got calls from Chicago, Pittsburgh, Washington State, right? Neighboring Oregon. Wilmington, Delaware, Reading, Pennsylvania, and more. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. And he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. And at some point, if Scalise is voting for Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy is voting for Jim Jordan, you you look kind of silly to vote for them. You think there's some deals he can start cutting with, like, the New York delegation? A lot of votes there. They want salt, tax relief, other things this is, this they is, care about. This is the reason Jim Jordan is the only viable speaker candidate we have. He's the only one who can get elected without cutting deals. Everybody, And, and that was the demise of Kevin McCarthy. And, and I supported Kevin McCarthy, but he had so many arrangements and deals that they became almost mutually exclusive. But Jim Jordan has gotten this far without a single deal, and he's got a plan to keep us from getting into a shutdown. And he's the only one who can reset the expectations that had been set earlier with conservatives. And that's why I think he's a, the only viable candidate we have. And I think he's going to get there this week. All right, that's uh, Congressman Thomas Massey commenting on his thoughts on the speaker's race. As we know, Jim Jordan today uh, fell short by 22 votes to secure the speakership. And I want to go to the phones on this. Let's go to Paul Redding, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Paul, go right ahead. Hey, Rich, thanks a lot. There are four ways that a uh, speaker could be elected one, someone will be nominated with enough to be a majority of the of the total needed. However, that's not going to work because no matter who gets picked, there'll be enough of at least five or more that won't like that person and won't vote. So number two, a, a legislation, not legislation, but um, some way the House could um, produce a, uh, a rule change allowing the current uh, temporary speaker to have more powers. But that won't work because to be a law and to be be something that actually might not be unconstitutional, the Senate would have to vote for it. And there's a majority, very small, but a majority of Democrats. So that won't work. The third way is that we could go three or four weeks without getting one and then be so close to defaulting our, our debts that the United States would, um, be, because the the, uh, um, the bill to, to uh, continue the um, the top limit of spending, <clears throat> but if we default, then there'll be a depression, and so maybe some of them will vote just out of the absolute necessity to get a, a speaker, and that might work. The fourth way that will work because even though it's impossible, it'll make a majority of votes in the House. Now, it was impossible to get a man on the moon until it happened. And here's what I'm thinking will work. And I've been talking to some of the Democratic House of Representatives members, and they're interested. What is quite it? Simply, okay, quite simply, I'll be quick. Uh, Schumer and other top Democrats will say, okay, we want uh, some of you— We'll pick them somehow of the Democrats enough to vote to get a Republican speaker. We'll make it very clear we're not in favor necessarily of the, what the planks are and so forth. But be, to, to save the country from depression, 
We will vote with the... Oh, Paul, I, I think it's a noble idea. However, if we can't get Republicans to vote on a Republican speaker, I doubt we're going to get the Democrats to vote for a Republican speaker. They just all voted 100% to remove a Republican speaker and voted 100% for uh, Jeffries to become speaker. So I don't think that one's going to work. I appreciate the call. We continue straight ahead. That's President Trump earlier today making comments on Israel and Ukraine. Um, Of course, if he were president, they would not be attacked is what he says. Uh, I tend to believe, I don't know if it would thwart the attack, but I think it wouldn't have been to that magnitude and likely may not have happened uh, just based on that didn't happen while he was in office. Now, that could be happenstance, but I tend to believe I think people really realized that Trump was that guy. He just did an interview recently where he, um, I forget which head of state he was meeting with, but um, showed the guy while they were meeting a video of his home. And he said, look, oh, is the president of the Taliban or the head of the Taliban. And he said, uh, I showed him a picture of his home. And he said, why are you showing me a picture of my home? And he said, because if you kill a single American, one more American dies, we know exactly where you live and we're coming after you. And it's that type of direct pressure that sometimes needs to be applied. I don't see Joe Biden doing that at all. I see him saying, come on, man, let's make a deal. Hunter, get the bag, you know, and uh, trying to collect some more money here and there and everywhere else. Uh, Anyway, I want to get to your calls uh, because there's a lot of them and I don't want to leave anybody hanging tonight. Uh, Let's see, where did I want to go? Uh, We were traveling across the country. We've got calls in Ohio, Chicago, Pittsburgh, uh, Washington State. We're coming to you. Hang on tight. Uh, Just trying to go in order that we receive these calls. And I want to go to Ed, Pleasantville, New Jersey, W-O-N-D, Ed. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. Uh, I haven't called in since the Jimbo Hanning days right after his uh, his passing you took over. So it's oh, been a while. thank you for calling, Ed. Um, I, I respect you very much, man. I know you, I know you probably support Trump a lot more, you know, than I do. I, I'm a black and, and white man. I, I, I'm black and white. My, my mother's white. My father's black. Uh, they didn't teach me to hate anybody for their race. Uh, my mom protected me from all that through the 60s. I wasn't even aware of that there was race problems until I, I, I had some issues. I punched in the stomach as a kid by three white kids. I didn't know, understand the reason why. I have olive complexed skin and curly hair, you know, but people take me for Spanish mostly. But the Got thing it. of it is, is that uh, I don't think it's I think people inject their own rate, their own prejudices onto certain things. You know, they have to say, oh, well, he's uh, because he's a successful white man and, and, and all like that. So they're, they're, they're injecting their own prejudices on to Trump. Trump has a long history, especially down here in Atlantic City. 
he stepped on a lot of heads on the way up. He put a lot of people out of business and didn't pay people. Uh, I don't have no love for Trump, no. When he became president, I kind of cringed at the fact. And I said, okay, well, we'll give him a chance, give him a chance, give him a chance. But look what all we've been through for the past 40 years now. I mean, even four of his years from his presidency, but still that's not enough. You know, he, he lost the presidency, Fed Square, but still not enough. He wants more presidency again. And do you believe for one minute if he ever got the presidency back again in 2028, or 2024, you think he would let it go in 2028 that easily? Yeah, I think Trump is a law-abiding guy, honestly. I think he looks at the rules, and he figures out how to make them work to his advantage, but he doesn't break the rules. And I think this is why they, they go after him as much as they do. Uh, but it was, um, you know, Dave Chappelle, of all people, did a comedy special, and he said something about, you know, this is why I like Trump. And, and he said, Trump and he played a clip of Trump where Trump was uh, or he recited a a clip from Trump where Trump said, I know that the system is rigged because I've used the system. And he told Hillary Clinton in a debate, you know, if you wanted to stop me from tax cuts that I take advantage of as senator, you would have proposed amendments to the tax code. But you didn't because your supporters benefit from those same tax cuts. And. And he was right. Clinton never did anything like that in her years in the Senate, nor has anybody else. And, and I think it, it illuminates a larger problem that there are lots of people that are making a lot of money off a system that is not working. And the one person that really, um, in my opinion or my view, that has, has been willing to lose money and step up to the plate has been Trump. Now, irrespective of his... Uh, bravado and, and, and the way he carries himself and the mean tweets and whatnot. Ultimately, Trump has followed the law every step of the way. In my opinion, he was actually, um, he, there was more he could have done. There was a lot of argument that he could have um, used the Insurrection Act uh, as a way to to slow down the, the, the voting, uh, the counting of the votes. He didn't do anything like that. These are things that, you know, President Lincoln used and whatnot. Uh, not President Lincoln, but um, similar tactics that Lincoln might have used. The Insurrection Act didn't really come to a little bit later, I believe. But my point is, I think Trump uh, w- was ultimately not what he said, not in word, but in deed. He, he followed the law. He left office when he was supposed to leave office. He complained about an election that he felt was fraudulent. He's still complaining about the election, and he's doing what he can. He's running again, and uh, he, he can run for the rest of his life if he doesn't continue to win. I don't know if he'll have the same amount of support, but I don't think for a second that Trump or anybody else, to be very fair and frank, I don't think there's any candidate out there that would get power and then say, you know what, I'm not leaving. They said they would arrest Trump at the end of his administration. He didn't get arrested. They said he would refuse to leave. He left on Marine One and went to Mar-a-Lago. I saw the whole thing on television. So I think there was, there's a lot of um, misnomers out there about Trump uh, in the media, just like there is about this Hamas and, and Israel battle, where you know they, they said that, that Israel blew up a hospital, and it was all over the news, and the BBC and, and Sky News, and you name it, all these big agencies were reporting that it was uh, Israel that blew up this hospital in Gaza, and it turns out to be uh, their fellow terrorist sympathizers, uh, fellow terrorists uh, in arms, uh, the um, Islamic Jihad. And they, in fact, had a misfire that blew up the hospital. 
And it's and President Biden even acknowledged that today. So I, th- I think that when it comes to Trump, he's gotten an incredibly uh, unfair shake in the media that because of the way he carries himself, because, you know, people might say, look, he, Trump's a jerk and maybe he's a jerk, but but he's he's not everything else they're claiming that he is, in my view. Um, and you're right about other people. For years, I've heard the immigration debate and I, I am. um in support of ending immigration in the United States, uh, at least temporarily, to get things under control, to close the border. Many people say that this is a, a xenophobic view. And and I, in that debate, while I agree with many people, there might be people that agree with me, but they don't agree with me for the same reasons that I have that position. My position is that we should um, close the border for border security purposes, to control the 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 to stem the tide of immigration that's coming into our country. We usually take a million a year on asylums and visas and whatever and whatnot. And we're not doing that now. We're up to, I don't know, three, four million for, for the year or whatever it is, seven million since uh, Biden's taken office. My purpose there is the security of our nation, to, to protect the country, to slow down the the erosion of our systems. We've seen, we're seeing big uh, sanctuary cities like New York City, San Francisco, and others being overwhelmed where they're now sleeping on the streets. The mayor of New York City, a Democrat, a left-leaning Democrat, he says, you're soon going to see them sleeping on the streets. We have no more space. They're saying the same thing in Washington and other places. So when you look at something like that, I think this is a problem. It's unfair to those that are coming in because some of them are getting raped along the way and being mistreated throughout, and they're coming here to live on the street. That's not how you treat people. But there are people in the um, same uh, camp, if you will, that say that we should shut the borders down and stop immigration that are doing it because they feel that there are too many brown people, that they feel that we're going to lose our nation, that in 2040 the majority in the United States is going to be Hispanic. I don't subscribe to any of that. They do. And I'm not saying every Republican is like that. I'm just saying there's a handful of them out there. And I've spoken to these people and I disagree with them vehemently. So you're right about certain people injecting their own um, racial views and biases into opinions. That That's always going to be the case with any opinion. Um, uh, I happen to have racial biases that are are, I guess, more open than others because I grew up in Brooklyn with with Arabs and Jews and Haitians and and Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and lots of people. So I don't really have uh, a bias against these groups. I have a bias for diversity. But either way, I think people use their experience and their and their understanding and, and their history in life when they formulate these views. And I think that's what we're seeing, Ed. Well, thank you. Uh, you're welcome, and I appreciate the call. Thank you for listening and for the, the compliment you gave me. It was very nice of you. Uh, big shout-out to W-O-N-D in Jersey. Folks, we're coming right back to the rest of your calls. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-4. 833 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. 
Hamas is responsible and should be held accountable for all civilian casualties. We saw the cost of this terrible war crime yesterday when a rocket fired by a Palestinian terrorist misfired and landed on a Palestinian hospital. The entire world was rightfully outraged, but this outrage should be directed not in Israel, but at the terrorists. As we proceed in this war, Israel will do everything it can to keep civilians out of harm's way. Is uh, Netanyahu, President, excuse me, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Tel Aviv, Israel today, uh, reiterating that the hospital that was blamed on Israel and the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, uh, for being um, blown up was uh, and killed hundreds of people was not the result of an IDF um, bomb, but that of friendly fire from the terrorists in Palestine. And this has been uh, widely misreported all over the world. And it's now being corrected, and President Biden uh, even admitting it earlier, and we we talked about that a little while ago. Uh, but it's it's something, right? It really is something when you, you, people get caught in the middle of their misinformation, disinformation. It's absolutely shocking uh, because you, these things tug at the heartstrings of people. When you tell people there's this, you know, uh, big bad state Israel that has the best bombs, they've got the U.S. in their pocket, they're, they're mean, they're encroaching on the land of others, they abuse the Palestinians, and they're just evil people. And what, what else do you expect the Palestinians to do but fight back and slit the throats of babies and then set them on fire? No. B.S. Bravo, Sierra. Absolutely not. Uh, th- that logic does not line up for me ever. Uh, I just... I'll talk about that until I turn blue in the face. It's absolutely never a defense. Israel did not start with a goal of saying we're going to eradicate every um, Muslim in the Middle East. But yet Hamas has a, a stated goal of eradicating Israel from the map and killing every last Jew that they can. That's what they say, not me. Iran opens up their sessions of parliament saying death to America, death to Israel, the great Satan and the little Satan. We don't do that. Israel doesn't do that. So all I could say is when you have these terrorists that influence people and eat away at their head, this is how Hitler operated, right? Hitler created the the Nazi party. He kind of normalized, you know, we have to gas these people. We have to get rid of them there. They're not fit for society. These are not good people. These are bad hombres, right? And they try to say Trump is Hitler. Trump hasn't done anything to anybody. Uh, but this is how they, they make these unfair comparisons and, and misreport the news. Anyway, I want to get to your calls. I want to go to the West Coast, Port Angeles, Washington, KGAL out of Lebanon, Oregon. Tom in Port Angeles, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hello, Richard. How, do you, how, uh, how are you holding up? I'm holding it just fine. Thank you, sir. All right. Yeah, there's Lebanon, Corvallis, and Albany. Nice. I got my uh, adult brain to get that out. Hey, uh, the USS... Liberty. Liberty was uh, torpedoed and uh, strafed and rocketed with rock of... With torpedoes? Well, yeah, anyway. uh, 45 guys died, I think. 
Ah, that's terrible. And they and the the the, the, Israel, the, the Israeli uh, fighter pilots with with the rocks. Uh, knew that that was a, a a U.S. ship, U.S. naval ship. Right, and they attacked it anyway. Uh, they were forced to do it. So the crew saves the ship, and it gets to uh, a dock in Spain. It gets passed up and uh, makes it home. It's a, it's a, and it was a cover-up that, like, I, it, I, I never heard of before. Tom, I'm sorry I have to jump into a break right here, uh, but I, I get your point. The uh, USS Liberty was attacked by an Israeli Air Force jet and uh, was struck by torpedoes back in 1967 during the Six-Day War, and it killed 34 crew members. And uh, at the time, the ship was in international water north of Sinai, the Sinai Peninsula. And Israel apologized for the attack, saying that the USS Liberty had been attacked in error after being mistaken for an Egyptian ship. Uh, And I understand, uh, I think I understand the reference you're making as we talk about the hospital that was inadvertently hit. I'm going to be fair and say inadvertently hit by um, the Hamas people on the Hamas side of the border. Tom, thanks for the call from Port Angeles, Washington, uh, listening on KGAL in Oregon. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, folks, it's the speed round. We're wrapping up tonight's edition of America at Night with Rich Valdez, and we're going to start off with Diane in Chicago on WGN. Diane, go quickly. Okay, I was going to first say, though, that people are in an independent mode and pretty tired of war and all the money it costs. Anyway, I was I was calling about the... Um, it's outrageous how the uh, machine-type politicians like Jonathan Jackson don't recognize that, or they think they expect that we don't recognize, decent, halfway intelligent citizens don't recognize their um, attempts to utilize legalizations when they're attacking, um, say, uh, Governor Abbott. I just, mm-hmm. It was just in the news today. And Jonathan Jackson is a political machine person, and they, are, they have a lot of nerve because what they do is slate each other, and they stay forever, forever using politics. And they rec- and they accuse Republicans of politicizing every issue. Yeah, you're right. And it's I'm looking at the the story here. I'm not really well versed on it, but uh, Jackson is calling for an investigation into Abbott over the migrant busing program, saying it's illegal. They're kidnapping. I mean, we've heard these these same claims from before. And I think you're right. Uh, this is uh, business as usual from uh, from the critics. Diane, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Let's go to Dan Akron, Ohio, WNIR. Go right ahead quickly. Thanks, Rich. Um, I was calling about uh, Jim Jordan for being Speaker of the House. Um, mm-hmm. I, they, they, 
We need to uh, stop. It sounds like you're cutting in and out, Dan. But yeah, I'm with you on the support for Jordan. I think Jordan is a great candidate. He's the one with the most support. And I think uh, Republicans would do a great service to the country if they get him in office. Hopefully they take heed to both of our uh, admonitions. Thank you, Dan. Al, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The music's on. You got 15 seconds. Go for it. Biden never left. Biden is just a puppet. Obama never left. I think you're right. I think Obama's very much uh, influential in D.C. and in world politics still. Uh, He's not official, but he's the de facto leader for sure. Folks, hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. And God bless. I am Rich Valdez. And God willing, we're going to do it all again tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.